0: Hi, welcome to memory chips podcast. I am Anne Wyszynski and I have a collection of potato chip bags from around the world. And every so often I go through this collection and a certain bag or bags will bring up memories of people, places, ideas. And I really want to share these with you. So if you please subscribe, you will never miss a bag. One of my intentions in doing this podcast, aside from trying to justify the hoarding of garbage, is to introduce listeners to everyday people and their everyday lives in foreign lands, or even just in unknown corners of our own lands or minds. My hope is that in presenting these experiences and ideas, that we can reflect on any biases or preconceived ideas that we have, or to learn more about ideas that may be unfamiliar And one of the reasons that we like to do this is so that when we find ourselves in the middle of conflicts, whether initiated by ourselves or our governments, that we can put a face on both the victim and the perpetrator and remind ourselves not to think in absolutes like these people are like this and those people are like that and that guy's like this and that one's like that. So today's episode was supposed to have been a chat with my Ukrainian friend Anastasia Polutbotko from her home in the southern part of Sweden. And we had planned to talk about mushroom hunting and several different styles of chanterelle flavored Swedish chips and wild mushroom flavored Polish chips. But instead, it's just going to be me talking about Nastia and the bags. At the end of January, I was chatting with Nastia and we were talking about mundane things like our dreams for owning a place in Iceland and her father's 60th birthday celebration. Oh, and as an aside, Nastia and her husband Ludwig are young enough to be my children, but they're both old souls whose lifestyle can seem sometimes downright geriatric. <laughs> in any case, Russia has had been threatening but had not yet invaded Ukraine at that point when I was talking to her. And I had been asking them to guest on the podcast since November when we had stayed with them in Sweden. And then I asked again now, and she said, maybe. At the end of February, Russia had invaded two days before I contacted Nastya to make sure that her family was okay and what they had planned to do. And she assured me that they were okay and that they had taken in some refugees, but they thought that they were positioned in a really safe spot. Um, Her husband, Ludwig, had been dealing with the stress of the situation by listening to all my podcast episodes, and I guess he convinced Nastia that it would be fun to talk to me about hunting mushrooms instead of thinking about this invasion, which in retrospect seems quite frivolous, but perhaps it isn't so much so as you would think. We set a date the following weekend, and I picked out some bags and tried to to develop some questions that would make it easy for her to talk about her childhood in the troubled 90s and 2000s Ukraine and the importance of being resilient, knowing how to stand up for yourself and knowing where to find food in the forest if it came to that. And then a couple days later, Nastya contacted me to tell me that two friends from Ukraine had come to stay with her and Ludwig in Sweden And that, given their understandable stress level, she felt like it was more that more important things had come up. And I agree with her. I mean, what's more important than helping people through a wretched war? Certainly not a podcast about a potato chip bag collection. But it did lead me to think about how to address this idea of frivolity in the face of war and humanitarian crisis. About a week after I spoke to Nastia, I contacted another friend who's a journalist, about a separate topic that he had proposed months ago. And when I asked him if he was still game to talk about it, he said that he had reconsidered and that given the state of the world, he wasn't feeling, quote-unquote, playful. And another friend of mine was going back and forth about whether or not she should have a birthday party, given the level of heaviness and depression that everyone, including her, is feeling about this war. And she sent out messages to her potential invites trying to gauge whether or not we were in the mood for a party. And most people agreed that having a party was probably a good idea to combat combat this feeling of helplessness that we were all feeling. And people were saying, like, the world is ending, we might as well hang out with people we love, or who knows when we'll be able to do it again. And other more cynical responses to that effect, it ultimately convinced her to have the party, which I was not able to attend due to a bomb cyclone that just dumped a foot of snow on my newly emerged daffodils. So I missed that celebration. Just when I started thinking about how to deal with this sense of helplessness, we have built up over the past two years of the pandemic dovetailing straight into a war, which was started by governments over which we as individuals have no control. I happened to be reintroduced to the ideas of the Stoic philosophers which can be really helpful when we as individuals are dealing with an uncertainty. For one thing, for Socrates and Epictetus, it's not the thing itself that causes distress. It's our internal reaction to the thing. And there's nothing more futile and distressing than struggling with something over which you have no control or being attached to a result that's not in our power to manifest in the first place. Given this idea, the best thing you can do when feeling hopeless and helpless is to identify what you actually and really have control over. Do not let the future trouble you. You will come to it. That is what you must, possess it of the same reason that you apply now to the present. Marcus Aurelius said that to mean to focus on the present and what you have gratitude for right now, not what you're afraid to experience in the future, which also sounds a lot like Eastern philosophy as well. And this is not to say that we should ignore the external things that we don't have control over, but because as Seneca warned, quote, to be lucky all the time and to go through life without mental distress is to remain ignorant of half of the natural world, unquote. And what does it mean, though? It means that you should remain alert to situations in in which you may be able to help, to experience all the emotions that you experience, but to be attentive to when there is something you can do which is is within your control, as Nastya did when her friends in Ukraine found themselves in an impossible situation. So what does this have to do with the frivolity of talking about potato chip bags? Well, um, for me, I'm exercising my control over the things that I have control over while simultaneously feeling sadness and heaviness over the state of the world And staying attentive to when I may be in a position to make a change and to have to control, have control over something with a positive outcome. Even through the sadness and hopelessness, life goes on, which is sort of the main point that the Stoics were trying to get across. And somebody may be helped or inspired by listening to Nastia's story on a stupid podcast. Who knows? So, on that note, I'm going to introduce this episode's bags and tell you about some of my memories of Nastia and then call it a day. So, I met Nastia several years ago at the IFA Center in Bramalla, Sweden. She was on the board of directors and was working with the initiators of this mega scale art space in a million gajillion square meter porcelain factory. And she was really young and had recently emerged from the forest in the northwest of Sweden where she and Ludwig had gone to art school. She had tons of energy and ideas, and I really appreciated her sense of humor and her brains and her pragmatic sensibilities. She's an artist, but trained in blacksmithing. Her father's a big-time blacksmith in Ukraine, and this sort of problem-solving with physical materials apparently runs in the family. Um, Then she married a blacksmith, and because of knowing them, she and Ludwig I now know more about blacksmithing than I ever thought I would. They live in a beautiful rural village in Sweden where they have lots of filthy machines that do things to metal and a beautiful garden and a cozy house with my favorite cats and Ludwig's bizarre collection of well, I'll I'll wait to talk to Ludwig about those later, a later episode. But anyway, we we always leave their place invigorated and inspired because even though Nastia has announced that she's no longer an artist, their vision of how artists can live their work and vice versa is contagious. And Nastia makes lighted globes out of paper and metal and casts creatures and things from the forest floor and bronze, including the teeth of a deer, or maybe it's a cow, I don't know, uh, that she has given me on different occasions. And the last time we were there, she slipped me three of these bronze deer teeth and I put them in the pocket of my coat and then forgot to take them out. So every time I wear the coat, I get a little surprise of these big, heavy metal bicuspids that I show to people and say, my friend Nastia made these. And people invariably find them cool. Um, a few years ago, when they first moved into their present house, Arnie and I were visiting, and it was mushroom season. And they said they were having an insane mushroom year, and that there were so many mushrooms that it was overwhelming, and they hadn't been out in a while. So they took us on an old trail down to a lake, which is the same lake which where I did my naked polar bear plunge this, this winter, um, and they were not kidding. Every sort of edible and non edible mushroom had popped up in a billion shapes and colors. There were giant yellow sulfur shelf and these creamy phallic looking Carl Johann Bulitis mus- mushrooms and hedgehog mushrooms and fly agaric, um, which is, I don't know if that's the same as the Amanita muscaria, but those are those iconic fairy tale red mushrooms with the white spots on them. So everything was there, except for what we were looking for, which was chanterelles. But now that I think about it, it wasn't chanterelle season. So anyway, we were walking along the path and we were enjoying the day and watching Arnie pick up a soggy blue mushroom with a shiny brown cap and put it like in the crotch of his pants and pretend that it was a penis, which is what he does almost every time he gets his hands on a gross looking mushroom. But more interestingly, (laughs) Nastia was quickly pointing out and naming mushroom after mushroom in English and in Swedish and in Ukrainian and saying, these are poisonous, those you can eat, but they taste like nothing. Those will keep you from starving, but they taste horrible. And so one mushroom that tastes delicious in that group, in my opinion, is the Swedish, Swedish chanterelle. And they're also less mild than the American version of these pretty yellow orangey frilly bugle shaped things, but they also love them in Sweden. And even though I've collected a considerable amount of them there, I can never catch up with the huge loads that I've seen my husband's sons or Nastia and Ludwig collect. I mean, ginormous amounts of them. So that's probably why during chanterelle season, all the potato chip companies in Sweden release at, at least one chanterelle flavored chip. So the bags that I have in my collection are Chips, plain Chanterelle flavor, which features a photo of Jonas Oströmer on the front, who the, the myth is that this guy brought the potato to Sweden, but apparently he actually was just instrumental in cultivating potatoes as a food crop. And then there's Estrella brand Chanterelle garlic and hot pepper, and Estrella brand butter fried chanterelle and sour cream, and then a limited edition 2016 Year's Harvest chanterelle flavor, um, or yearly har- harvest, I guess would be the way you would translate it. And then I threw in there a bag of Lorenz brand boletus and sour cream crunch chips from Poland, because something that Poland has control over is whether or not to help refugees fleeing from the war on Ukraine and they can help that way. And I don't know how it can help, but I can feel better talking about it. <laughs> um, I have many Slavic friends and family and almost all of them have the basics of mushroom hunting down, but this was the first time that I've mushroom hunted with someone who pretty much knows the name of every single fungus in the forest. And when I asked Nastia how she knew so much She just said, well, it's good to know these things because sometimes it's all there is to eat. And then she left it at that. And so I also left it there. Thanks for listening, and if you have any questions or comments about what you heard today, please post them to the review section of your podcast player. So if you use Apple Podcasts, you click on the show thumbnail and scroll down to leave a review, and then whatever happens after that is up to you, but hopefully it's nice. You can also leave posts at, on Instagram at at memorychipspodcast.